if we're at like letter G on the alphabet, we're going to have a really hard time reading the letters below us because we've progressed above that on the ladder. Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, Happy New Year! How how was your New Year's? Happy New Year to you too, Steve. Thank new you. Year's was great, except I got sick. Oh well, that doesn't sound great. It doesn't sound like great, except it just sounds like not great. No, it's great because I don't get sick very often. And when I do get sick, it's usually not terrible. And I figure if I got sick already, then I'm good for the rest of the year. Oh, good plan. Good plan. Yeah. So you're, <laughs> you're, are you over it yet? I hear a little something in your voice. There's some residue, but um, like I don't feel sick. I'm not run down or anything. It's just in my, you know, kind of a head, head cold thing. Okay. Before we... We will have some chit-chat today, but before we get into the chit-chat, the the theme of the show, the topic of today's show is essentially going to be getting better as a writer. And it's not a how-to-get-better-as-a-writer thing. It's just the the idea of of getting better as a writer and just some things that I've experienced, that Taylor's experienced, and that we see. Um, So it's just going to be a conversational show today. Now, back to the chit-chat. Taylor, did you do, before you got sick, did you do your typical New Year's Eve routine or, or end-of-the-year routine? I did. It wasn't exactly typical because I was actually doing things on New Year's Eve and New Year's that kept me away from it. So it kind of spread it out in the days before and the days um, after. Mm-hmm. But it's the same concept of reflecting over what happened the last year and looking forward into this new year and just kind of trying to envision what it is that I want and kind of slap myself around a little bit. All right. Well, last year (laughs) at this last year at this time, you would have been still in the process of trying to find a a new publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, You were still wondering what was going to happen with this book that you'd written. When you look back over the course of the last year, good, bad, how, how, what, what was your takeaway? Well, there's always progress, right? Like the, the point of reflection is never, oh, that was a bad year. I didn't get as much as I wanted done because I never get as much as I wanted done. The whole point of doing this is to look back and realize that, look at how much I did that I didn't remember doing, right? So um, we got the... When we started the year, I had no idea which end was up anymore in terms of what I was going to do, whether I should keep writing this series, whether I should go back to writing Monroe and just try and move into self-publishing. And um, it was just turmoil. And then that got settled. And in the middle of that turmoil, I was because I'd already finished Liar's Paradox and I just felt so burned out with. It, that I just decided to go back to Retribution, which was the the story of a small town woman um, who's just one bad thing happens to her after the next until she has nothing left to lose and how she takes matters into her own hands. And um, 
I just started writing to write, not like I didn't have any plans like, oh, I'm going to try and sell this story or anything. It's just like I want to finish this story. And so I started working on that and just started having fun with it again. And I did that for a couple of months. And then I got the news that Liar's Paradox sold. And then, of course, everything grinds to a halt because I have to refocus priorities and stuff. All right. Let me so, let me stop you there because people may not know this. They may not understand how long the period of time was from the point where you got the news to the point where you were actually able to announce it. Um, when when was it uh, over the course of last year that you actually got that news? Do you remember? Because I remember there were, it seemed like months where it's like, can we talk about it this week? No. It was a long time because of the, the contract, the way that contracts are like, you know you're going to get a contract, but it takes a while before the paperwork is all done. And I just didn't, you don't want to jump the gun and offend your publisher by announcing something that they themselves have not even announced yet. So it had to be a couple months be between when I knew about it and when I could actually announce it. And I'm thinking it was probably April that I knew. So I got the news on April 20th and I had the contract signed um, in July. Okay, so, so that's yeah, it's about two and a half, three months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, but but once I got the news that the contract was going to be signed, I kind of had to stop what I was doing. With right, because then it was back to actual paid and contracted work rather than I'm writing because I want to write this story. Exactly, and so this was kind of a frustrating year in terms of writing because. Well, I should say 2017 was because I never actually finished a book. Like I got <laughs> hugely through retribution and then I had to return back to Liar's Paradox. And then I had to start the sec number two on Liar's Paradox. And I also started writing the fulcrum, which is Monroe number six for my patrons. And so I made progress on every single one of those things, which was the equivalent of writing a book, but I didn't actually write a book which is maddening for me because I want to finish things. <laughs> that is kind of funny. And oh, through the course of somehow or other, through the course of your ruminations, you were able to, um, when we spoke the other day, to chide me a little bit about my lack of progress on what I had been working on. So somehow well, or other, you we, we should like put some you know, disclaimers in here that I said, I can't chide you. <laughs> no, that is <laughs> correct. you going to point back at me. <laughs> but I do – it's like you were almost feeling bad, like I shouldn't say anything, but I really – me, I need – I need people to say, why isn't this done yet? And I – my friends stopped asking me like July, like how's it coming? They just stopped asking, and that gave me a chance to, <laughs> to, to be busy doing other things. And, see, and I'm exactly the opposite. Like I really – don't like it when people ask me, how's it going? How's it going? Because I feel like I owe them an answer like, it's going great. I'm making so much progress. But time is different for the writer and the reader. Like for us, for, for a writer, a month might be a couple chapters and the reader's like, where's your book already? And so I'm like, just please stop asking me. I don't want to tell you how it's going because it feels like everything's messed up until I get to the end, and then I can say, yay, I have one week to celebrate before <laughs> starting this all over again. So what, do you want to share your plans for this year? Well, they say that's how you make God laugh, right? Mm -hmm. your plan. 
So I will just say that I desire what I would like to be. Well, I, I have to get a, I have to get the second installment to Liar's Paradox finished. That's non-negotiable. And um, well, this show is going to go off in all kinds of directions if I open my mouth and start talking. But I'm just going to say this and maybe we'll edit it out. I've, I've had some time in this reflection period to really think about what it is I want. That's the whole point of, of reflecting on, on past year and on the new year is to, to understand what you want so that you don't spin your wheels doing something that's not even important to you. You know, we only have one life. The days go really fast. And with writing books, you can lose a year that doesn't go anywhere because you did something that you didn't really have, you know, want to do. And I've started thinking about what is it that I really, really want. And as much as I love writing and as much as that's why everybody loves me, I've been at this long enough now that it's almost more of a job than it is something that I'm excited to get up and do every day, mm-hmm. which is beside the point because almost all of humanity gets up and does a job every day that they're not excited about. That's I'm not special in that. That's what I really want. I want to get Hack the Craft finished. I want to do more editing and teaching people how to do what I do, because there's joy in that. There's there's a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from helping others in that way that I don't get from just arguing with myself and, and feeling like I suck in front of a keyboard, in front of a screen, right? So I have to write a book. I want to do Hack the Craft and podcasts and tutorials and teaching. Where that goes, who knows? But it's something I realized while doing this whole um, reflection thing. All right. And if you're doing this kind of reflection and you're identifying the things that you would really love to be doing, how do you know when you have – and let's use Hack the Craft as an example because I'm I'm curious about this. What would have to happen for you to say, I've done this? Well, get it. Get it. Out but what does that mean? I mean? Because we're doing half, Hack the Craft episodes. So are you talking about the actual, like the course having or the, the program, whatever it is? Yeah. Okay. Having at least a rudimentary functioning beta level program available that people can already start using and giving feedback and saying, you know, I wish there was more here. This isn't working for me. I don't understand this. This is where I'm getting value, that type of a thing. Okay, and that is that a, a a goal for this year, or just something that this is a desire? It's a desire. I can't. For me, when I put something down as a goal, and I really mean it, I will move heaven and earth to make that happen. And I can't because I have obligations in finishing this other book, and this other book is going to consume my year. So there's want, and then there's need. I have to finish the book. And it's it's this conflict that tears at me because my stories and my writing is why people listen to me in the first place. It's why my patrons support me. It's why um it's why I have fans. So if I stop writing then 
it's not like I'm going to oh, I'm going to lose all of that. It's not like that. It's like that's what I'm giving to people right now. That's what people appreciate from me. And by stopping that, I'm taking away or ceasing to give to those who love that from me. So even though there's not as much joy in the writing process as there probably should be, and it's not what I want to do the most, it is what is wanted of me. And so I can't just stop that either. And that's what tears at me is that if I go off and do what I really want to do, I'm going to be abandoning all of those who have been waiting and expecting and wanting more and who have been cheering and rooting me on. So there's this sense of duty and obligation and not in a, um, you know, being whipped sort of way, but just in in an exchange of, of you've given me so much, I have this obligation to give back to you. I can't just abandon writing, even though sometimes that's really what I want to do. How much of, of this do you think has come from the publication process and the fact that it's will have been so long between published novels? You know, I don't know the answer to that. It, it might be partly due to that. It might be partly due to the really rough patch that hit that I didn't know which end was up and that how long that lasted. And for those who want all the gory details, it's in the ebook on Patreon. Um, I That might have had something to do with it too. And the other thing that might have something to do with it is the sense of... Um, obligation that comes with being under contract. Now you're under contract, you have to do this. Hmm. Where there was all the way back to the doll, which was the third book. Um, I had this feeling, and again, this all came from my reflections over the last several days of, I had this feeling of, I never want to do this again. I want to write, I want to keep publishing books, but I never want to be in a situation where I'm under contract again. I'd rather just write a book and then try and sell it, which now having had that experience, I don't know about that either. But <laughs> but you've had the experience and you just had this period of reflection and you're still coming out with that. Well, it's that it's because there's a freedom that comes with not being under contract where you can write what you want, when you want, how you want for the people that you want without this sense of you must follow these prescribed constructs under this timeline. And if this person doesn't like it, then you have to change it. And it's one thing to do that with the freedom of, yeah, okay, you don't like it, I'll take your advice. And there's another thing of, I really need to please this person because I'm under contract. So I think what it was even back then is, I wanted the freedom. And so all the way with the doll, my goal was if I could just get ahead, if I could write fast enough and sell enough that I wasn't forced to write for a living and, and I didn't have debt hanging over my head and, and um, all these uh, financial obligations, if I could get ahead so that it was eased up a little bit, then I would have the freedom to write whatever I wanted, however I wanted, and write for the joy of writing. And I'm getting to the point now where maybe I possibly could do that, not because I'm financially well off. Um, if anything, I make far less money now than I did at the beginning. Far, 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 far less. 
But my patrons are keeping me going. And my kids are starting to have less demands on me. And I'm getting to the point where soon I could downsize to a much simpler life and not have as much like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose the roof over my kid's house if I don't write this book the way this this person wants it. And so I'm getting to the point soon, not this year, but soon where maybe that could possibly happen. And it's forcing me to stop and think, well, what is it that I really want? What do I really, really want? What brings me joy? And it was like this big realization to me, teaching. I love helping other people. I love passing on the knowledge that I've gained along this journey. I don't know if I can make a living. I don't know if it'll pay the bills, but it's what brings me joy. And it sounds very selfish to say that because being able to write for a living is the dream of every single person who's listening to this podcast right now. So they would probably want to trade places with me in a heartbeat. So it's not coming from that sense of, I don't like what I'm doing anymore. None of that. I am so grateful. I am so fortunate to still be in a position where I can write. It, it is, I'm, I'm blessed beyond measure in that way. But the time of reflection isn't about that. It's about self-examination and figuring out what do you really want? What really matters to you? And that's where all that was coming from. Okay. And I'm, I'm tempted to say, let's not get into the topic at all today. Let's just continue on with this. But it's sort of an evolution of the discussion to just kind of move into the topic because this is sort of the direction we want to go with this. The idea of writing just to write rather than writing to sell. And what what caused this to come up as a topic was a book that I had started to read the other day by someone that I know. I know a million authors on Facebook, and I'm friends with a zillion authors on Facebook. And you know, if you're an author, that's somehow or other we think that we're going to sell more books if we're friends with lots of authors, which is just silly. But that's what happens. So you see these things, you develop relationships with people, and you say, oh, they, they, bought a, they put out a new book. I'll buy a copy just to support them. And I had this particular author, I had read something that he had written several years ago, and I just thought, mm, you know, it needs work. And it's not like it's it just it wasn't for me but there were there were very specific things that i found that needed to improve for him to in my opinion start selling more books and so fast forward 3 years and new book i happened to see that it was he he'd posted it online so i wanted to buy a copy and post say yeah i bought a copy congratulations etc cetera, etc cetera. i started reading it Three years later, the writing is exactly the same. And I, I was just – I had this sense of we need to talk about this. We need to talk about how to get better, how to, how to recognize if you're not getting better. It's an awkward conversation to have, but if you're, if you're trying to improve your writing, it's really hard. And you, you, there, there's this school of thought that says if you just write more, you'll get better. And I'm not convinced that that's true. So what say you? Because I know that 
in your opinion, your writing is far better now than it was when you wrote The Informationist, yet The Informationist probably sold far more copies than the last book you published. Yes, and in my own, and you've heard me say this too, my own opinion, The Informationist may be the best story I ever write because it's not possible to replicate what went into that story. Just the situation of it and everybody who's followed along knows what I'm talking about in, you know, that in-depth research. I was living there, you know, that type of a thing. It's been a while since I've read Stephen King's On Writing, a decade maybe, I don't know. But I recall that he had some quote or something that he said in there about how maybe somebody had even said it to him. There are very few great writers and no amount of practice can turn a mediocre writer into a great writer. But working the craft can turn a lot of mediocre writers into good writers. And that's what we strive for, is to be good writers. And when you ask yourself, what is it that you're striving for? What is it that makes you good as a writer? It is that your readers are engaging with your work, that they are immersed in your story and not having moments like you just had of, this really sucks. Um, other writers are always going to find it harder to read bad writing than readers who aren't writers. Can I just, just because, can I interrupt you for a minute and, and, yeah. and say something? You told me two years ago when I started talking seriously about writing, it's like this is, it might've been three years ago. You said, this is going to ruin your love of reading. It hasn't ruined my love of reading, but it has made me far more critical. Yeah, it's harder because when you are a reader, you you're able to read things, just the words on the page. When you're a writer, you spend so much time manipulating those words and you know what flows and what doesn't that when you see the mistakes, you so easily see the mistakes in other people because you're like, you would never tolerate that in your own work. So I think in many ways, we become our own Geiger counters. Uh, whatever quality we're at in our own writing is what we have a low tolerance for in other people. Like if we're at like letter G on the alphabet, we're going to have a really hard time reading the letters below us because we've progressed above that on the ladder. And But we won't really recognize the quality difference between be, between what we're doing and what the nearest letters above us are doing. So it's only once you go up a step on that ladder in your skill mm -hmm. that you recognize what people are not doing below you. And you can sort of see above you like, wow, that person is really good, but not quite grasp what it is about what makes them good until you yourself have gone up another rung on that ladder and gotten to that level. So with people who haven't progressed much above A or B, it's really, really hard for them to see where they're at 
and that they're not improved. When they get to C, they'll understand, oh, I was at B and A, that, that really wasn't all that great. And I know you and I had discussed this a little bit before, and you're like, well, what, what makes you be able to see that you need to improve? Like, how? how? I mean, I've talked before about how I taught myself to write, writing the informationist, and I, I got this question from you. I get it from others. It's like, how did you know how to improve? How did you know that you needed to improve? And it's really frustrating for me because I like to be able to give people practical, actionable advice. If you do this, then this, which is what the whole Hack the Craft program is about. But when it comes to improving my writing, the only answer I have was I could tell that it didn't read right. It sucked. It wasn't. It, it annoyed me. It was pinging on my subconscious. And I just kept rewriting until I wasn't getting pinged anymore. So through that, I probably took myself several steps up the ladder without anybody having to actually teach me. And then now if I go back and I read some of my early work, I get pinged again because <laughs> I've since progressed mm -hmm. several steps up the ladder. So anytime we submit material, we think that is the best that we can do because we're blind to how it's not good enough to whatever level it is that's being it's being judged by. And but but that's to other writers. And so there's somebody who could write at, you know, those first few rungs of the ladder and maybe still find a reading audience because not all readers read to the same level. So there could be a lot of readers who try reading something written by somebody who's still on those earlier rungs of the ladder and they just can't do it because they're very well read. They read authors who have written from higher rungs on the ladder and they're just, they don't know why it's not working. They just don't like it. Another author will be able to come along and say, ooh, you did this, you did that, you did this, this needs to change or whatever. But for a reader, it's just like, I didn't like it. It wasn't my style. So going back to the question of how do we as authors improve, um, it, it's not, there isn't really an easy answer to that because to be able to improve, you have to be able to see that you're not there yet. You have to be able to see that something is not working. You might not have the answers to how to make it work, but you realize something is not working. And that's what propels you to keep at it until it feels right enough for you at the moment. And of course, you know, if there are others available who can teach you, then seeking out help is a great way to improve. But not, not that many people, I think, do that. They think they're good enough. It's, it's a really, it's, it's a conundrum for me because on the one hand, you have so many people who have so much self-doubt where they're like, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And then you have a whole other side that that thought doesn't even cross their mind, it seems. So uh, you can't you can't like generalize and say, oh, this is the way it is. And I, I really don't know what the answer is, except that in order to be able to improve, you have to be able to see that you're not there yet. And it is, you know, art art is in the eye of, of the beholder. It's, it's easy to find books that sell really well that are not perfectly written. 
It's easy to find. Not even perfectly. Yes. Just plain good, not well-written, Right, period, okay. You know? And it's easy to find books that are extremely well-written that don't sell very well for whatever reason. I mean, there, there is – we don't understand. We as authors don't understand what magic happens when someone picks up a book to make them in, want to enjoy it and read the next book and tell their friends about it. Uh, it's not always great writing. It's not always great storytelling, but there's something there's something in there. Um, but what you're talking about and, and the process as it's been as it has worked for you, and sort of the way it's working for me as well, is this stair step approach where you get a little bit better at this one thing or maybe these three things, and then so you see the problems. Then whenever you write something that has one of those three things in it and then you're on to the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing and it it goes forever there is no there is no perfect score the ladder just goes on forever descends into heaven it's a jacob's ladder yes Yes. um and and the thing is is that just because you get to where you can see the problems just because you get to where you can teach others how to fix the problems doesn't mean you're not going to run into them yourself. Again, uh, I'll give myself as an example. I just spent the last three days rewriting chapter nine in the fulcrum, which is Monroe number six. Uh, I've already released chapter nine to my to the to the readers on Patreon, Patreon, but it was a rough version, and I went in and I wanted to fix it. And normally, coming back in and trying to fix something is not that difficult. It took me three freaking days. <laughs> and it was because I wasn't inside my character's head. I was trying to show things happening without it coming through emotion and movement of the character. And so I'd venture that the majority of people who read that chapter on Patreon didn't really think all that much about it. And I probably could have just left it the way that it was. But I couldn't do it for me because I couldn't bear to look down that ladder and go, ugh, it's still down there. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to haul it up with a bucket to where I know it should be. And it took me quite some time to actually get the, the feeling of what it should be to where I was like, okay, I can at least leave this alone for now and move on to something else. That's so basic. But it took me three days to realize what the problem was. So even that there is relative then. And, and I'm sure there must be authors out there who are very high up on that, that ladder who don't go through that the way that I do. That they just write, they just, they just output and output and output and output. But for me, it's not like that. For me, I have to continually teach myself the same thing that I'm teaching other people, which maybe is why I enjoy teaching more, mm-hmm. because it's easier to tell somebody how to do it than actually go and do it myself. <laughs> um, and and yeah. for me, in, in going through my own stuff, which is what I've been doing for a while now, and going through the notes that you had written for me months ago, it is it is so much more difficult for me to go in and adjust things and to tweak things in the way that I know. Because even now, because we've had, I don't know, 20 shows, 25 shows in, in since 
I first sent you that material. So my knowledge has grown significantly just from talking to you on a weekly basis and listening to these shows again as I edit them. And I go back and I read this, and I'm like, how could I have ever done that? And then I'll go in and I'll start tweaking it, and I'll, I'll add a few paragraphs, and I'll look, and it's like, I did it again. But I see it. I see it then. And see, so that's, it's, what, that's, that's like that's I've taken that – I've taken a few tiny little steps on the ladder. Yes, that's exactly what that is. And I want to take a moment to pause from this concept because I think that all of our listeners, they get it. I mean, the whole reason they listen to this show is because they want to get better. And and so they're not the ones that are um, unable to see their their mistakes. I, I have full confidence that everybody who listens to this show is going to become a stronger, better writer with practice over time because they're there seeking knowledge and seeking to improve. But there's a whole other side of this that seems to be very taboo to talk about. And that is, what if you just really aren't that good? And it, it's, it's an interesting thing about the creative arts because art comes from inside us. And anything that is part of our ideas, it's actually part of our sense of self. Unlike let's say, punching in data on a spreadsheet that came from somewhere else, and all you're doing is transferring it or um, manipulating it or whatever, you don't do that job and think, oh, those numbers weren't very good, so I must not be a very good person. Something's wrong with me. We don't do that. We don't do that with so many things in life. If somebody wants to be an athlete but just doesn't have the natural strength that it takes or the height to play basketball or whatever it is, we don't look at them and say, oh, you must not be, something must be wrong with you. You must be broken because you're not able to play that game very well. But when it comes to the arts, painting, music, um, writing, if what we create isn't very good, instead of saying, looking at like, any other thing that we do in life, we look at it like, I must be broken. Something must be wrong with me. And it becomes an attack on ourself. So because of that, I think that's why it can be somewhat taboo to talk about the fact that a lot of people who set out to write stories probably have no business doing so. And I say that only in the context of writing stories with the idea that you're going to publish them and sell them. It, it, in, in this type of world where we are teaching and building people up, you don't, the last thing you want to do is discourage someone because it's, it's an environment that's full of self-doubt. The last thing you want to do is feed that because we all start at the bottom. And we all are working to drag our way up that ladder. Don't want to kick the ladder out from under somebody. But every once in a while, there's going to be somebody who probably should choose a different ladder. Because they can't see all the rungs of them. They have no idea how hard it's going to be to climb that ladder. They just think they're out for a stroll. So if someone is 
climbing that ladder thinking that I'm, I, I, it's my dream to get a book published and I want to do this. And they don't have the ability to see that they're not there, that they're, they haven't reached the quality. They can't see that there's a mistake and, and seek to improve. It's probably the wrong ladder for them. But there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Just like there's nothing wrong with playing games and playing sports for the love of the sport. It's if, if someone loves to write and that's all they want to do, but no matter how much they struggle at it, they're just not getting any better. That is okay. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just they don't have an innate skill at hearing the words. They're, t- they're colorblind to words. It's not their fault. They're not broken. It's just maybe don't try and become an author. You know, maybe there's some other ladder that you would just excel at. So in the same way that I don't want to kick the ladder out from underneath somebody, I don't think it's fair to also say, just keep climbing, just keep Mm -hmm. climbing, just keep climbing, and eventually you'll get there. Because no, for some people, it really won't happen, which is why my standard advice for everyone is don't do this unless you love it. Don't do this unless you're compelled to do it. Don't do it unless you're doing it for you. If, if you're writing because you're trying to achieve some level of acknowledgement from other people, you're going to get your heart broke because there's always going to be someone who doesn't acknowledge you. If you're writing, doing this for awards or acclaim, you're going to get your heart broken because those are few and far between. And it's often people who you have no earthly clue why they got it that gets it. Um, you have to go into this for you. It's the only reason for you. And if you try and don't succeed at what you wanted to achieve, if you did it for you, then you won. And you won't have that sense of, I'm not good enough, I failed, or whatever. So it's a, it's a touchy subject. How to improve? Can you improve? Will you improve? It's every person has their own answer to that. And to what level? I mean, nobody needs to write to the level that I write, just like I don't need to write to the level of literary art, uh, writers, because I have my audience at my level. And at my level, you're going to waste a lot of time trying to get here when you can probably sell your work years before you ever get here. So it's really about finding out what works for you. And the big question that I know I'm going to get, because I get it so often in emails and stuff, is how do I know? How do I know if I'm not seeing my own mistakes? And the way I look at it is, if you're asking that question, you probably see them. It's like playing poker and looking around the table and trying to figure out who the sucker is. <laughs> right. If, if you don't it's know who you. the sucker is, it's you. It's you. Right. <laughs> All right. Thank you. That was um, that went in a different direction than I expected, but uh, well, I think it was we really have useful. Material for another show. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> so that was terrific. Um, we went a little bit long because we had such a long intro, but this was great. Thank you guys for being with us again in 2018. Okay, we finished recording. And I told Taylor, I'm going to tell you a quick story. 
and it's unrelated to writing. So I turned the recorder off and I wanted to tell it during the show, but we were running out of time. And she, when I got done with the story, she said, oh, you really should have recorded that because that was really good. So it, this has nothing to do with writing. It uh, does. It does, uh, according to Taylor. <laughs> but when I was 12 years old, I was five foot nine. I am five foot nine now. I never grew another quarter of an inch from the point where I was 12 years old. When I was 12, I had a 14-year-old cousin who grew to be seven foot tall. He was, at that time, he was probably about 6'10". He hated basketball, but he played because he was tall. I loved basketball. I played because I loved to play. And because I thought, oh, I'm going to be tall like my cousin. I was on the same growth pattern. I went away to camp to learn how to play center. And if you know anything about basketball, centers are the tall guys that stand in the middle and, and do these weird things that only big people can do. And so I learned all these center moves, and then I never grew. But I still loved basketball. I kept playing. I, I was never going to be quick enough to be a small basketball player who was good. I was never going to be tall enough to be a tall basketball player who was good. I could just be a guy who loved to play basketball. And I did continue to play basketball in rec leagues and things like that up until the point where I was in my 40s and stopped playing because I saw too many guys my age getting hurt. Um, but I just played for the sheer love of it. And Taylor's like, oh, we should have recorded that because it's exactly on point. Because what Steve doesn't realize is in that tiny little story, he just summarized that entire monologue I got off of. So that right there, Steve's little story, is everything that I was trying to say. Except I was talking about basketball, and I'm not good at relating but things like that. it's the same concept. <laughs> the exact same thing. All right, ending number two. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. We'll be back with you guys next week. <laughs>